are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Welcome back, weirdos, for Cohen's and all you unstoppable killing machines allowed out of your prison cells for one hour and one hour only. We are here once again to deliver you your weekly Weird Dose of X. My name is Jason, and back with me once again is our good friend Chris. Chris, how the heck are you today? Oh, you know, very, very good here. It's uh, We're in the uh, Merry Marvel method of uh, telling the same story several times over, so uh, that's kind of how these uh, crossovers tend to go. But uh, hey, at least it's not it's not bad. We're, we're, <laughs> it's not we're, bad adding, we're adding texture to the story. I think that's there. I mean, there are good points here. The bad points is that we certainly do not forward our main story more than about five minutes. Not but, at all. Yeah. But what a five minutes those are! But today, what we we're talking about is we have two new axe related books coming out this past week. Mm-hmm. Those are X Men Red Number Five by Al Ewing and Immortal X Men Number Five by our own head of axe. Kieran Gillen. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get started with Immortal X-Men. But first, Chris, can you give us a little background on our starring character this week? Yes. Uh, as you all know, uh, Immortal X-Men seems to be uh, going around the table, so to speak, here. For the first several issues, we're getting the point of view of a different member of the Quiet Council. And this time out, it's Exodus's turn with the talking stick. So we figured we'd give a little bit of a background, a little bit of a quick and dirty, a little bit of fake-ass comics history on uh our, uh, our, you know, little known Exodus. He is a uh, probably. I, I gotta figure he's probably the least famous, uh, you know, in terms of mainstream fame, member of the Quiet Council. Maybe Destiny would take that role now, but when we first started, he was kind of like the weird character. Like, how did Exodus rank to be, you know, sharing rarefied air? with uh, yeah, Professor I'll, X and Magneto. I'll admit I had no idea who he was. When he came through that uh, portal with all the other villains yep. back in House or Powers, whichever one it was. House five, yeah. Yeah, when all, all the bad guys came to join the island, I didn't even know who that guy was. So, yeah, fill yeah, us yeah. in. So he is, you know, a, uh, he's, he's a character, you know, I, I, it's so weird how time works, isn't it? Um, you think about all the characters that have popped up over the past 30 years, and they all seem like new characters. You know, you look at like a character like Quentin Quire, who's been around for like 25 years now, and it's like, ah, oh, he's a new character. No, <laughs> he's been around a damn long time. Yeah, like, uh, time, time flows on, doesn't it? Yeah, like when I started reading books like in the late 80s, 25 years before that was the launch of the Marvel Universe. It's like, that is insane to think about. But we're going to talk about Exodus, who's been around for just about 30 years now. And... uh Back when people used to have me on their shows as a guest, these little segments, they would call them going full treadmill, because this is uh, straight out of oh, the okay. Chris and Reggie nice. playbook here. People don't invite me on very often anymore, but uh, hey, you know, what are you going to do? Let's talk about Exodus. Real name is uh, <clears throat> Bennett de Paris, or Bennett du Paris, or something along those lines. We're not going to say that again. We're just going to say Exodus. Uh, he first appeared in X-Factor number 92, July 1993, cover date. He was created by Scott Lobdell and Joe Casada. Now, his first appearance was during the Fatal Attraction storyline. He was an acolyte of Magneto's, and he would take over the role as Magneto's right-hand man after revealing that Fabian Cortez was kind of just using Magneto as like a power source. You know, he was uh, he had some shady stuff going on. Now, Exodus would show a particular interest in then-X-Factor member Quicksilver due to his then-relation to Magneto. 
he would go on to capture several X characters. He'd bring them up to Avalon, which was Magneto's post-Asteroid M base. And that was where the climax of the story would happen. And of course, folks in the know will remember that Xavier lobotomized Eric, unwittingly planting the seeds for Onslaught at the finale there. Now, immediately following Fatal Attractions, as in like the very next issues of all the books here, we jump into Blood Ties, which was the X-Men and Avengers 30th anniversary crossover, which reminds me that next year is their 60th, and that makes me feel horribly ancient. Now, in this story, Fabian Cortez is still a little bit nuts, and I mean, that tends to be one of his top character traits. He shows up in Genosha, where it's revealed that he has Quicksilver's daughter, Luna. And of course, as mentioned, this is before Marvel's movie rights temper tantrum, so at the time, Luna would have been Magneto's granddaughter, and of course, a person of extreme interest to someone like Fabian Cortez. Now, Luna's mother, the Inhuman Crystal, I can't remember if she was an Avenger at the time. She was at least an associate of the Avengers. And so she got them to enter the fight here onto Genosha. Quicksilver was a mutant at the time, so the X-Men did as well. Now, Cortez would tell the assembled heroes that, well, Luna's going to die unless they get together and kill Exodus. Exodus, uh, well, he's kind of in a class all his own, so there's very little hope that the, even the combined forces of the X-Men and Avengers could do damn near anything to stop him because very, very powerful. Now, lucky for them, Exodus just kills Cortez. Unlucky for them is that he then commands all the Genosian mutates to kill all the Genosian humans. Now we jump back into like a trope out of the Silver Age here because just like back in the Silver Age, it's up to Professor X to get involved and just win the day. It's like all the X-Men would go out, get their butts kicked. Professor X would go there, touch his temple, and it's like, oh, fixed it. Don't worry about it. That is a classic Stan and Jack trope, isn't it? Oh, yeah. They definitely, uh, if you read those old books there, Professor X was definitely the star, which is very, very strange. Um, Now, what Professor X does is that he provides like a psychic distraction to Exodus here so that Black Knight could sneak up behind him, slice him with his blade, and uh, basically end the conflict. Now, during this final confrontation, it's hinted at that there's a bit of shared history between Exodus and Black Knight, and mm-hmm. we'll do a quick and dirty on that because it's it's not terribly interesting, and we're going to talk about it during the Immortal discussion anyway, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of gloss over. Uh, now, it's worth noting here, because uh, we jump into a whole, new, a whole new timeline at this point, Exodus was a member of the X-Men during the Age of Apocalypse event. Really has nothing to do with anything, but worth mentioning as a, you know, a linear progression of his, uh, his appearances. We jump ahead to the Heroes Reborn and Heroes Return era, where if folks who were around during that weird and wobbly time will remember that this was like when Marvel was launching new books, like really weird new books, like constantly. And this was strange because this is actually back before they did that just weekly. You know, every week now we get like three or four number ones of books that are never going to make it past issue five. Back then, they were a little bit more choosy. And one of the books that was launched around this time was Quicksilver. I mean, that sounds boring, doesn't it? There's a reason for that. Now, this ish, this book ran 13 issues from cover dates November 1997 to November 1998, which was seen as a dismal failure back then, but, uh, well, a relative long runner nowadays. Uh, Exodus would pop up in this series to attack the High Evolutionary, also the Knights of Wondagore, and Quicksilver, with a crew of acolytes and Genosian mutates. And like I said, if this sounds like the most boring thing ever, yes, it was. Um, now, this would lead to a crossover with the newly relaunched Heroes for Hire book, 
with a shared Heroes Ooh. for Hire and Quicksilver annual. Uh, huh, that is an odd combination. I don't really think of those uh, yeah. those characters together so much. Oh, kind of you know, around the, before the turn of the century, Marvel was doing this with uh, their annuals. It was just like weird crossover annuals, like like a Captain America and Namor mm-hmm. shared an annual. Like put, the, um, put all the characters on a dartboard and, and see which two you hit first. Kind of sort of like Machine Man and Bastion shared a book. Nice. It's like it's like what? Okay. Um, now, during this uh, little tete-a-tete here, uh, it was revealed that Exodus and Black Knight had a shared history. At least it was revealed to Exodus and Black Knight themselves, because we, as readers, already knew. Because a couple years earlier, this was all revealed to us in the pages of Black Knight Exodus, a one-shot that nobody cared about, and uh, maybe they care about now, but uh, it was a Ben yeah, Rabe I, book. I think there's going to be a few extra hits on that in the old uh, Marvel Unlimited app this week. I'm thinking you're right. A little more than background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, this... This is a one-shot that spills the beans on their relationship as well as Exodus's apocalypse connection. Now, it's a little weird, but in this issue, the Black Knight and Eternal Cersei, I mean, that brings us into the Axe event here, were trying to escape from the Ultraverse, which was the Malibu superhero universe that Marvel had recently bought and wow. tried to breathe a bit of life into by dropping a few Marvel characters into those books. And, huh. you know, like you figure, it's like, who are you going to drop in these books to make the sales go up? Captain America, Spider-Man, Wolverine? No, so better. We got Black Knight and Cersei. Hmm. Uh, so it's it's kind of like what DC did with the Charlton characters, but the reverse, right? DC just took the Charlton characters and shoved them into DC books, mm-hmm. where Marvel's trying to keep keep Malibu going by, we'll just call it another universe and we'll we'll ship a couple of a minus yeah. listers over there. Let's say, be generous. B plus, B plus. Uh, <laughs> and that's being polite, but uh, yeah, DC would bring characters in, like they did it with the quality characters, like uh, Plastic Man, Uncle Sam. Of course, the Charlton heroes. Uh, Captain Marvel was brought in. I like that way a lot better than this way. Uh, but I do remember there being there being rumors that like when Malibu's contracts were written up, there was uh, some weird royalty stuff put in there. So the oh. creators of these characters would be paid like every time they were used. So Marvel's like, screw that. It ain't worth it to use a character like Prime or Hardcase. We might as well just, you know, leave them over there, especially if, you know, movies start happening. And I don't think they want like Mike Barr to, you know, come and knock on their door. But uh, into the Ultraverse here. And I believe it's weird. I think Marvel like bought them for their coloring because uh, for a few years after this, like all of Marvel's books were like Malibu colored. And uh, oh, the coloring I think I've was that, very I've good. Heard that we were before, yeah, that's an interesting. Col- yeah, it was. It was like the shift from you know uh, into the digital coloring, and it was ah. very, very nice stuff at the time. And I mean, still holds up now. Now, in addition to characters like Black Knight and Cersei, uh, Marvel would also send the Juggernaut, Sienna Blaze, and Reaper from the Mutant Liberation Front. A listers all around. Well, Juggernaut, I guess he's Juggernaut's probably the biggest name out of those. Yeah, absolutely. Back then, he wasn't, but uh, now, yeah, probably in hindsight. Now, in this issue, he's practically a mutant, I hear. Yeah, oh, yeah, maybe. You never know. Not technically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not technically one. Uh, now, Cersei is able to teleport or transport the two of them back to the Marvel Universe, only they kind of took that wrong left turn at Albuquerque and wound up arriving back in the 12th century, where Dane would inhabit the body of like uh, the uh, one of his predecessor Black Knights, and he'd befriend or would be friends with Exodus. And Scarabs would get involved, Apocalypse get involved. Um, now it ends with Exodus being locked up in a tomb, he's knocked out. And uh, that's actually how the Quicksilver and Heroes for Hire story ends as well. He's back in this apocalyptic tomb. 
Huh, okay. Now, after a bit, Exodus returns. This time he's disguised as Magneto in order to try to finally bring peace to the high-tension Genosha. It kind of, it doesn't really work. it doesn't last long I should say because it happens but then it goes back. So is he able to imitate Magneto's whole magnetism deal with like telekinesis? Maybe is that how that works? Kinda. He's he's very very powerful. Uh, and like Exodus is one of those like problematic characters where, or I guess he's probably a very easy to write character because he could basically do anything. But uh, for a yeah, leader, his whole it's like, his whole power set seems to be kind of unlimited. Wildly, yes. He's very, very convenient uh, in, in whatever role he's put in. Now, this was a funny issue. Well, not a funny issue, but uh, this was an issue that I remember because back then, Marvel's annuals were, were not numbered. They were numbered by the year. So this would be like Uncanny sure. X-Men Annual right. 99, and it came out like in the middle of February 2000. And it's like, yeah, you missed it, but uh, okay. Um, now- Worth noting, maybe, uh, just as a, you know, all-encompassing thing here, Exodus does show up in, like, one panel of JLA Avengers. So I guess that gives him a little bit of cachet. Um, now, after this uh, whole Genosha war thing, he goes away and comes back again. And he returns trying to form a brand new brotherhood. Now, in this attempt, he tries to uh, recruit Nocturne, who is the alternate reality daughter of Nightcrawler and the Scarlet Witch, who was uh, then appearing in the Exiles book. Now, the rest of his, his uh, Brotherhood crew are uh, mainstays, basically. Avalanche, Sabretooth, uh, Mamamax, that stupid elephant guy, and uh, Black Tom Cassidy. Uh, they would take the fight to the X-Men, but the X-Men had Zorn, who sucked them all into his head. Nice. Uh, this was, <laughs> I mean, like you do. Yeah. This was a Chuck Austin era, by the way. So, naturally, it was never revealed how any of these characters got out of Zorn's head. But since we're talking about them right now, we have to assume that they probably did at some point. Now, we jump ahead to M-Day, the decimation, endangered species, uh, the birth of Hope Summers. During this time, Exodus would join up with Mr. Sinister to try to determine the future of mutant kind. Everybody wanted his first baby. He's really hooked up with all the big bads, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Apocalypse and Magneto and everybody. Yeah, the, the, the big trifecta here. Now, everybody wanted the baby. Everybody wanted Hope. And because Hope was, you know, I mean, she was named for a re- Hope for a reason. She was what was going to be like the spark that brought mutants back. And everybody wanted to have a little bit of control over this. So uh, the Acolytes and the Marauders, and we're talking about the old Marauders, you know, the real Marauders, they would join mm-hmm. up here. And once the kid was born, Bishop would lose his damn mind. He would uh, turn heel and he would shoot Professor X in the head. He, uh, when Hope was born and he, he took a look at her, he realized that Hope needed to die. And this was a Bishop storyline for uh, the entirety of Cable volume, whatever the hell it was. Cable took Hope into the future. Bishop, it was like basically right, two right. quantum leapers following each other, right? So this and this is the whole time when Cable became her surrogate dad her father. and developed yeah. their whole relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that, was, a, that was the Dwayne Swizinski, I believe, who was the writer of that. And it was actually quite good. Um, I don't know how it holds up, but it was fun at the time. It was just very, very different. Now, uh, so Bishop shoots Professor X in the head. Professor X is like KO'd. And so Exodus would uh, find Magneto, who had been gone off the board for a little bit, and they would try to reassemble Charles's memories. Um, now this was when X-Men Volume 2's name was changed to X-Men Legacy. And, uh, the stories became more character focused. 
the first couple of arcs clearly were about Charles Xavier. Then you know you'd have a you'd have arcs about Rogue, you'd have arcs about Legion. It was um it was an interesting time. It was Mike Carey. It was very very good stuff. Probably uh, a highlight of the of the era. Yeah, Mike Mike Carey's a really good writer. I've read more of oh, his yeah. prose than his comics, but okay. uh, I need to go back and read some more of his uh, X Men stuff. Oh, his X Men stuff was uh, that was some solid solid stuff. Really really fun. Yes, yeah, he does some kind of. Uh, uh, urban fantasy magic kind of mystery novels that are, okay. that are that are good. Oh, very cool, very cool. Now we jump ahead from here to Schism, which is where the X Men had a, a little spat and split up. And here, Exodus, his whole thing is about unity. You know, he's trying to reunify the split X Men. Here we have, of course, Wolverine's team. We have Cyclops's team. Wolverine got mad that Cyclops was putting kids in danger, so they split up. Even though kids have been put in danger in the X Men for sixty years now. What are you going to do? Now, Exodus would visit the Jean Grey School, which was the Xavier School renamed in honor of Jean after she died one of the times. And he goes to chat up Wolverine. Now, Exodus would read Logan's mind and he would determine that Cyclops was the reason for all of the mutant unrest. And so Cyclops must die. This doesn't go too well for Exodus. Hope Summers' Generation Hope crew, they were called the Lights, they get involved and Exodus is defeated. And he's placed in mutant jail, or the X Brig on Utopia. Huh. You yeah. saw so not quite uh, being sucked down into the heart of an island, but doesn't seem all that different either. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is more like an actual like physical cage, though. And uh, he does get freed. I think. Uh, I think danger frees him um, when Utopia is uh, is about to be sunk or something. Now, Utopia, for folks who don't know, is a. Uh, the other time, or one of one of the several other times that the uh, mutants tried to have an island nation. So not the first island, but also not the last island, one of the yeah. islands in the middle. One All of the right. islands in the middle. You know, these are very original ideas. Very original ideas. Um, now, he would go away for a bit again, and he would return during a particularly awful era of the X-Books that I have very little familiarity with because I was checking out at this point. This is the Cullen Bunn era. And I hear a lot of good stuff about Cullen Bunn's indie work, his X-Men stuff. Not not for me. Not for me. He is one of the reasons why I stopped reading and collecting books here. This was one of the nails in my collecting career. Um, now, this this was a, a series of Uncanny X-Men that was led by Magneto. And like he had like like the reformed Sabretooth from the Axis crossover in there. M was in there. It was just a really weird and, in my opinion, not a very good book. And uh, this would lead directly into the blue and gold era, which is where I finally tapped out. I, I could not get through the Bunn and Guggenheim stuff. I think it was Guggenheim. Was it Guggenheim? I don't remember. Whoever wrote those books, I did not care for it. So the rest of this is straight out of the Marvel Wiki. Exodus did show up at the end of X-Men Blue as a member of yet another iteration of the Brotherhood of Mutants. And, uh, well, that would end, and he would next show up walking through that Krakoan gateway in House of X number five. Well, he's been around for a long time. He seems to kind of be off in a second banana. Yeah. Uh, like a, a really big banana, but a second banana. And he just kind of pops in and out. He's He's been all these different places, but I don't think he ever had like a classic story. Like you wouldn't tell somebody- There's no seminal oh, Exodus right, story. Here's, no. here's the Exodus story you got to read. That doesn't seem to have ever happened. No, no, no. And even after today, we, we can still say that. All right, so now we know a little bit about our friend, and I'm going to go with Benet du Paris because it's fun to say that. I like it. I'm just going to say Exodus. I don't want to offend anybody. Okay, so we're going to go right on into the actual uh, new book, Immortal X-Men number five, 
the part five meditations on the X, which is the first of our many, many religious references that we're going to kick around today. Mm-hmm. It's written by our head of Acts, and I'm going to keep saying that until people find it funny, uh, Kieran Gillen. And the art is by, I believe this is Michaela Bandini, a little Italian name on top of that. Mm-hmm. And we're told right up front, this issue occurs during the events of AXE uh, Justice I have it AXE JD number one, Judgment Day, Justice, Judgment, all those things. Number one. So we're told right up front, yeah, we're just going to kind of see more details about, in this case, what happened on the island of Krakoa during that whole first the psychic attack and then the not so psychic attack. Yes. And and really the religious references are what hit me over the head here. Again, I I mentioned before I am, you know, a, a Catholic guy, so maybe I'm more sensitive to these than others. But it kind of seems like Kieran Gillen had a list of here are Bible things, and he just kind of tossed them into his script without a whole lot of delicacy or thought. So, a hundred percent. I'm I'm sure some that doesn't bug other people quite as much as it bugged me. But it would have been nice to see them have a little more direct uh, relevance to the story rather than oh he said rock so let's do a Google search for Bible rock. <laughs> And, oh, Peter's in there and Kane's in there, so we'll just throw them both in. Yeah, I was going to say, it only offends me due to its laziness. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, people have been abusing religious lingo and jargon forever in comics. Uh, yeah, it certainly can be used to deepen his character. I mean, his whole history, as we're going to find out, is very much comes from a religious background, a different time mm-hmm. and place. So it makes sense that he would make these references, but I think someone, you know, who was a crusader would have have a I had a deeper understanding of these stories than maybe Kieran Gillen has. But you, just, this, you don't just say words. I mean, that, that, that that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, for a first draft, maybe. But okay, so we start <laughs> off in, in a flashback land, and mm-hmm. we're gonna. I'm gonna spoil it right away. We find out that the psychic attack on Krako is already underway. Yeah. So it starts off. Kind of subtly, which which I like. We don't arrive with a boom, ow, 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 my head hurts, we're under attack. They don't want them to know they're under attack yet. So they kind of seem to just be reminding, like kind of sending the uh, quiet council people like into their own memories, just thinking back on things. Kind of like, yeah, I'm sure we've all experienced just a random time during the day, you're driving in the shower, whatever, and you remember something really embarrassing you did in middle school out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I I think maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe I'm just under psychic attack sometimes if you want to distract me. Because there's no reason to think of these things. And this is what happens to Exodus. He remembers being way back in the Crusades uh, before his powers manifested. And this, all the flashbacks here take place in that uh, Exodus uh, Black Knight book. Or I guess it's called Black Knight Exodus, right? Yeah. So that's the that's the one shot where all these memories or almost all of them seem to be coming from. So he's wandering around the desert. He's trying to find this place where we know he's going to meet up with Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking back on Apocalypse too, and he knows that's where he's headed for because he's revisiting his own memories. Mm-hmm. And we get uh, hit over the head with Apocalypse meaning revelation and revelation being a new way of seeing. And this is where we get the new bit. Because we didn't see this happen in that one shot, but we see here that uh, that Exodus, or then just Benet du Paris, sees the phoenix there in the desert. Yep. Why not? Which I, I'm not sure if we're supposed to think this is 
us finding out for the first time what actually happened, or if this is just him thinking back on it now and kind of reading his new understanding of the world back into his own memories. What do you think about that? Uh, you know, I, I when I see the Phoenix on the on a page of a comic book, I kind of glaze over nowadays. It just seems like such a lazy way to try to in, inflict meaning and import on a, on a scene that might not need it <laughs> and might not necessarily carry the weight. Because right now, uh, Exodus really associates the Phoenix with hope because that's his yeah. current messiah. Mm-hmm. We'll see through this that he's had several messiahs through the years. He's very, oh. very dedicated to his messiah until he suddenly isn't. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, again, we've had... Uh, experiences maybe in middle school, maybe with friends or girlfriends who they're super, super into you until they've moved on. When they've moved on, they've moved on. So now we go to the now back in Krakow and we see once again our uh, quiet council. They know there's an attack coming from the Eternals because Mm -hmm. Destiny has finally gotten her her future threads together. They don't really know why or how. And uh, so Shaw doesn't seem to believe it so much, right? He's yeah. kind of skeptical. He makes a little uh, remark about, oh, Eternals, right? That uh, That's that's Cersei. She was an Avenger. She used to run around half naked. How about, uh, is she going to show up? That sounds pretty good to him. And of course, you know, Kitty doesn't think that's so great. And we know because we've read the uh, Judgment Day number one that they don't have a lot of time here. No. Right? So this reads to us as just, they're not ready. They have no idea. Not. It's 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 not quite Pearl Harbor, yeah. but uh, kind of yeah. But uh, they're in trouble, and we find out that Exodus knows a little more about the Eternals than anybody ever knew, including our characters or us, because mm-hmm. there was a scene back again in that uh, Black Knight Exodus one shot where he had a psychic battle with Cersei, mm-hmm. and we found we knew then that he defeated her in the psychic battle because he's Exodus and. He was in the title of the book. Uh, but we find out now that during that battle, he got kind of a glimpse at her mind and how Eternals do their thing. So he has some information that the rest of our Quiet Council don't. Uh, she talks about how they're almost more machine-like than human. Which, yeah. you know, that kind of fits with our understanding. Sure. That fits with our understanding of how Eternals work. That they're, they've been around for so long that they're just bigger in a whole lot of ways than humans and kind of smaller in some other ways, but just very, very different. So that's a neat insight. And now everybody around the table, I guess, starts to feel a little bit not really there. A little tingly, little not around. We don't see anybody else's visions, but presumably, you know, Xavier and Emma and everybody's all lost in their own memory somehow. Sure. And Exodus starts to figure out, oh, no. We're under, you know, something's gone wrong here. But he goes back once again in his memories. Now he goes to a little bit further along in his story. He's out of the desert. He's found Apocalypse. He's kneeling before Apocalypse. Now Apocalypse is is his main man. Yeah, that's his his messiah. And we see Apocalypse. He doesn't exactly give Exodus his powers, but he he wakes them up somehow. He he manifests them. Is that what's he going on here? Them. Yeah, I believe he triggers them. Yeah, he, he triggers them. Okay. So now, now he's when he's really uh, Exodus for the first time. And we jump right ahead again on that story to where Apocalypse wants to test him out and say, hey, you have to kill your buddy, the Black Knight, who's actually the spirit of the future Black Knight projected back into the past because yep. this has to do with the whole 
coming back from the Malibu universe, but kind of ended up wrong. Uh, This is where they have their fight, and Apocalypse wants him to kill the Black Knight. And right away, uh, Exodus says no to his new Messiah. He's he's been Exodus for like, I don't know, five, ten minutes now. He's already ready to move on. So he won't kill Dane. Uh, He refuses, and then uh, Apocalypse knocks him out and puts him into his coma, I guess we're going to call it. Where that's where he gets sent to that temple and laid up for some number of centuries. So this is where his mind's going, but now he knows, oh, this really is the psychic attack in the eternal. This is the Unimind. Uh, We get another cool uh, artistic representation of what a Unimind attack looks like. The big head, the big screaming head, the big giant head, if you've watched uh, Third Rock from the Sun, kind of similar to that. Uh, And yeah, he he knows he's under attack, but he can't break free yet. And we see again the faces of all these other quiet council members, you know, back in whatever, you know, unpleasant memories of their own they're revisiting. Mm-hmm. So now we jump in his in Exodus's personal mental timeline back to when Magneto woke him up in that temple. Yeah, and okay, here's his second Messiah, Magneto, and we get a really awkward reference here. Where he says of Magneto, first he says, the ma- Magneto, the man I first thought a messiah. But then he says of Magneto, I was in a tomb and Magneto rolled the rock back and let me breathe. Which is a resurrection of Christ metaphor. It's an Easter, yeah. But it, it's backwards because the person inside the, the tomb was, inside was the, tomb. the messiah. <laughs> so it's... It's just very, oh, there was a rock and a messiah, and I, I yeah, I think that could have been done better, but oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> the most uh, generous reading is that Exodus is just really messed up, and he's just mm-hmm. kind of scattershot in his own head, so maybe maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe, works, maybe works the Bible out. and the X-Men books share editors. Oh boy! And, and just, I'm just not even. Thing. I'm not even touching that. That's back with a Kieran Gill and uh, Nazarene <laughs> mutant idea, and that's just too yeah, much. We for do me. get another Nazarene mention here. We do. He likes that. He's very proud of that one. We he jump forward really again in his timeline. We see him kind of fighting the X Men. I'm not sure exactly when this is supposed to take place. This is the fatal attractions. That's fatal attraction. Okay. Yeah. And then we see, I guess, when Magneto's kind of knocked out, and and Exodus has to try to take his place. Hmm. And now, okay, now we're back on Krakoa. Oh, once again, he's kind of, this is when the psychic attack has done its worst. They've kind of broken out. And this is in the timeline when Wolverine has just seen that uh, Jack Jack of of Knives. Jack of of Knives has killed Egg, tried to kill Hope, stuck a bunch of oddly drawn daggers in his shoulder, which it really seems almost like a little bit. It looks like a different. (laughs) Art style. It looks like if I was going to Photoshop things poorly and just kind of cut and paste, it looks like it was drawn by a different person. It's it's odd. I don't know if those were added later in the process because oh continuity, we have to have these things in his arm, but they, they don't look quite right. But uh, the art here does not flow. Uh, it doesn't really mix with what came before it in uh, in Immortal and also whatever came before it in Judgment Day. This is very very weird. It's, it's going to read it's, weirdly. It's not my favorite. No. So no, now we get no. the the uh, counterattack by the mutants because they've been under psychic attack. They've had some actual physical attacks by not only Jack of Knights, but her turtles and their battle armor on Krakoa. Although I don't think we see that in this issue, but that is what's going on here. Yeah. And we get Exodus again. And in his own mind, 
he has to kind of put together a vision. He can't just go and beat up things psychically. He has to make a, a picture, which, you know, it's a comic book. We want a nice visual for this. And of course. This is another pretty cool visualization of a psychic battle. We've had the big screaming head with kind of the angels around it in our uh, Judgment Day number one book. We had, again, the big giant head here. We get another one where he and Emma and Hope are going to be the three attacking the Unimind. So in his mind, he's this crusader knight with an X on his chest instead of a cross, because that's a really easy symbol to repurpose, so I'll do that. Yeah, an X is just a cross on its side, or whatever he says here. Yeah, there's even a particular, oh, there's another kind of cross of Saint Somebody who's the one rotated. I'm, somebody's going to know what that is, but it doesn't matter. Mm. And he envisions himself as the knight, Hope as his flaming sword, mm -hmm. and Emma as his crystalline or diamond yeah. shield, which is a cool look. And the Unimind in this visualization is there's the one, two, three, four, five-headed dragon. Uh, so I don't know if we're supposed to think there's really five Eternals in this particular Unimind or if it's just how it's drawn here. Uh, sure. One of them has a, a cool beard, kind of like Zorus. So I don't know if that's oh, – yeah. I'm going to guess it's actually Zorus in there because why else put a cool beard on him? Right. And yeah, so now we get uh, – it's going to be a physical battle between the knight – with the sword and shield versus the dragon, which is, again, how Exodus is always seeing himself. Yeah. We turn the page and we get another separate visualization of how this psychic battle goes, and this is the data page view. And this is kind of cool. What did you, what did you think of this data page? Um, you know, anytime I see a data page, I kind of, uh, I kind of glaze over. <laughs> well, there's some, uh... there's some neat stuff here because it's a blending of the two kinds of data pages we see. Right, we've yeah. got the white, yeah, some, yeah, the white background with the black text and the kind of glyphs that the, we've seen ever since Hoxpox yeah. as the main, but then kind of intruding in the middle of it, we see the black background with the red and blue colors of yeah, the, the Eternals yeah. data pages. Yeah. So it's almost like we're seeing like a, a map of a battlefield and who's who's taking over what territory, and in that background of the Eternals, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros arranged in 8-bit bytes. And it just looks like, you know, noise to me, but somebody actually took that uh, data, at least the data we can see, and mm -hmm. fed it into a, you know, binary translation software. And it turns mm -hmm. out it's not just random noise. It is an excerpt from uh, something written by Cicero talking about good versus evil. Mm -hmm. Now, is that just some random text they happen to grasp that's supposed to mean anything? Who knows? But I think it's kind of cool that uh, somebody did that. And this, if you want to check it out, it's on a website called comicsxf.com. So look that up if you want to find more about these uh, random-ish seeming bites of information. Next, we cut to another memory of Exodus. I'm not sure if this one is a particular time and place. Can you place this when he goes and almost kills himself in the sun? No, I can't place this one at all. This just feels like a maybe something that's brand new to us, or okay, yeah, or maybe it's a, uh, a more symbolic scene. I'm not sure. It's very Superman looking, isn't it? Like Superman oh, yeah. in front of the sun with the cape behind him. But in this case, he's not getting power from the sun like I guess modern Superman does. He is he's he's either testing himself. It's almost like a, a self harm situation. He's he's mm -hmm. hurting himself, or a a mortification of the flesh is actually the term they use here, another 
religious reference yep. where he's kind of testing his own faith because he knows if his faith wavers, he's this close to the sun, he's it'll just burn him to pieces. And he seems to almost kind of want that to happen. He's at a very much a low point here. He's hoping to find clarity. And I'm not sure if at this point he senses that hope is born or that hope will be born. But wherever we are in his timeline, that thought of hope gives him, you know, is literally brings hope him, yeah, brings and brings him out of it. And he, he uh, you know, leaves the sun area and he goes back to Earth. And okay, now we're on to his third Messiah, I guess. Fourth, if you count back when he was a crusader, but sure. his third kind of mortal that Messiah. we know of anyway, yeah. Right. There could be some other stories in between. <laughs> uh, and, okay, after that, we cut back to Krakoa after the fight. He's wor- he's the worst for wear, but they seem to have won or at least driven, oh, well, off, the, yeah. driven off the attackers, right? We know from uh, Druig's reaction that he had hoped to completely overwhelm Krakoa in one, one uh, you know, giant battle. He didn't get yeah. a fully success, but, there. you know- was this is the best there? Emma wants a uh, what a a mutant carpenter to come and and fix things back up. I'm not a oh, telekinetic carpenter. She calls for. You know, is she is that somebody in particular she wants, or is that just not a weird sure. thing they said? I think that's just the way she she thinks of uh, of everything. Okay. <laughs> yep. So now this is where Judgment Day number one ended. So we get a little bit more. We see that those giant those freaking hex, robot at, right? We saw them rise up out of the ocean in Judgment Day, but now we see that they're not just standing around doing nothing. They are actively going to attack Krakoa. And again, the art here is not nearly as cool as we saw them in in Judgment Day, but not at all. they are still big Kirby looking things. And kind of remind me if you've ever seen a Neon Genesis Evangelion. You okay, see that I've seen bits of, of it, yeah. the angels. Oh, okay. the angels that the the Avas were uh, built to fight off here. This is that's the, what I'm getting out of this here from this visual here. Them appearing out of a portal here. You got the one with the wings coming down. Feels very Evangelion. Okay, neat. I'll have to check that out. I mean, and, and that had its own biblical references in it, so that's uh, sure possible. Well, evangelization, Evangelion. That makes sense. Sure. So this is pretty much where we wrap up with. Uh, He's uh, our, our hero Exodus has been kind of revived, and he's he's his he tells his Messiah Hope on this time you stay back, I'm going to go and slay the dragons, uh, and he flies off to attack the hex, and now mm-hmm. we find out that he is both the rock on which the church is built, but he's also the rock in the hand of Cain, which is a really strange reference because uh, is you that know how Cain I, killed Abel. Cain, Cain is the bad guy in that story. Yeah. And I think in, in the Bible itself, it doesn't say there was a rock, but usually when it's being depicted after the Bible, they talk about him using a rock. Using a stone. Okay. Using a stone. So uh, I, I would have gone maybe more with a David versus Goliath, David Goliath reference. Right? Makes yeah. more sense. But again, yeah, if, 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 the, yeah. if the idea is just to say, oh, Exodus is a weird dude with random bits of the Bible kind of just bouncing around <laughs> in his head at all times. That's sure. that's what I'm getting out of this issue is that I guess I do know more about Exodus now than I did before, but he's still not all that appealing a character. He's kind of a, a loose cannon. I'm ready for I'm ready to find out that he tends uh, ends up changing sides again. You never know. That that could happen because the uh the, the Eternals, they're gonna be building a new god here, right? Sure. He, that's that's their Exodus plan. Is quite fickle. He loves new gods. He so does. he might determine that, hey, this new uh, giant celestial or whatatever they're doing, maybe that's Exodus's right next messiah. 
Who knows? Never know. So overall, what did you think of this Immortal X-Men number five? That wasn't the worst thing in the world. Um, it, it, you know, in reading this the first time, I just keep getting these flashbacks to the Marvel way of telling stories with the crossovers. I, I don't know that we need to read the same stories over and over again, uh, even though we are getting them from a different point of view and we are getting new stuff. But the new stuff we're getting here, I don't really, I mean, it's Exodus stuff, which I'm not sure what, what kind of a selling point that is. Um, I'm, I got to have faith that there's, you know, more in store for Exodus in this immortal run, but I don't know. It just feels like I, I, it certainly isn't a Red Sky crossover because, I mean, it is definitely, you know, deeply entrenched in the Judgment Day story. But, uh, which no which we would expect because it is the same writer after all. So course, he's gonna he's gonna play nicely with himself. Yeah, you'd, you'd hope. You would hope so. <laughs> Don't no visuals there. I, but, um, uh, moving onward. But uh, you know, it just it feels like at the end of the day, these books cost money. And mm-hmm. when we're done with this week's show here, we'll have spent like fifteen bucks on reading the same story from three different pers- perspectives. I'm and sure Marvel hopes that people who are maybe reading immortal will read this and say okay i gotta jump Ooh, on board with the event judgment there yeah we, yeah we are early on in the event so it makes sense they want to try to you know plug it in as many places as they can to their their target audience i'm not sure how many people I, i'm actually curious i don't know how this event is playing with the larger you know x-men fan audience are people well, what about just like an avengers fan would an avengers fan buy this well, and if I mean, they the did event, would they get right. anything out of it the Avengers you know? fan wouldn't have been buying Immortal X Men to begin with. No, no. But with so, a crossover, they might. Yeah. Okay. So it's going back, going, going the other way, going from people yeah, reading the events, going into it. So they want to get people going both ways. That's how I usually look at these things. I usually look at these things. You have your main, your main event book, which you know that's the book that the casuals might go to, and then it's like, oh, there's a crossover in X Men. I've never read X Men, but it's part of this story, so let me check it out. And I think that's usually the the goal of these things, if the, if we can even say there's a goal uh, nowadays. But uh, I really don't know what uh, what uh, a non X Men fan would uh, would get out of this. And I mean that's probably in the weeds, but I don't know. I don't know. I I just I worry that every single one of these tie ins is just going to be. If you, you ever read the DC uh, crossover Millennium. Yes, in Did, fact, that was one of the very first DC books I read. And I was very confused. And it was a piece of shit. It was awful. It was absolute garbage. But uh, like the crossovers there were kind of like where the story was being told, but you'd get little bits and pieces of what was right. going this on is, in the main This series. is where, where John Kent came from. Is that right? No, no, no. This, no, no, no. This, that's, the, that's, the, that's the Legion Millennium. This is a millennium from back in 1989-ish, 1988. Okay. This is where the Manhunters showed up. Okay. Um, Other crossover. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is ancient, and it's bad. Okay. <laughs> it's really bad. And there were like forty crossover issues of this thing, wow. and they were all just like different points of view on what was going on. And it was. I, I hope that's not what this is going to be. Granted, we are very, very early in this thing, mm-hmm. but also I am very cynical. And I, we have we have a smaller number of crossovers than that. I think what we're at twenty four total books in the event, including That's still plenty you know, crossovers. It's still plenty, but a lot less than forty. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think this worked decently as a, a crossover. We get to see some more detail of the attack. We learn more about Exodus. Again, I don't really like him, but we did learn more about mm-hmm. him. Uh, yeah, I, I think if I think about how the 
if I was going to be reading just Immortal X-Men, this is the big thing happening in the world of the X-Men, so it's going to show up in the book. Yep. And yeah, we might as well use an Exodus-centric book to do it. There so I think, I think it was an all right. It wasn't my favorite book of the week. And in fact, uh, Kieran Gillen himself said earlier that uh, if you're going to read only one Axe tie-in for this whole month, you should be reading X-Men Red number five. He said even more than his own, which, you know, I think that's a nice little thing to say about a, a fellow writer. Right. Right. I, I agree with him. It was mm -hmm. a more interesting book. So we're going to go into that next. This is X-Men Red number five, written by good old Al Ewing and art by Stefano Caselli. And we see again on the title page, another nice little note, events in this issue are also referenced in Axe Judgment Day number one and Legion of X number six. Now, hmm. this same week, I think it was Legion of X number four came out. I was going to say, that's like a couple months out. So I'm not sure if this is a publishing schedule got kind of knocked around. Was Has Legion been uh, Legion of X been delayed at all, do you know? I think it was delayed to launch, but ever since then it wasn't. Okay. I, I think so maybe, maybe maybe the whole plan was to tie in and the delayed launch shifted things out a bit. Or because maybe it's just a, a misprint. We do have the same editors on these books. Who knows? Maybe they meant Legion of X four. Yeah, but but uh, also on on Twitter, Kieran Gillen also said Legion of X number oh, okay. six. So I I think that is where it's going to tie in, and we'll we'll okay. see in the story where it might tie in. So gotcha. I think this is a, we don't usually talk about covers, but I think this is a pretty cool looking cover. It we is. have uh, the skeleton of Cable mm -hmm. looking up. We see he's still got the glowy left eye, which is. One of the ways we know it's Cable, he's got some pouches, sure, and some shoulder pads. He's got the scarification on his other eye. Yep, the, the scar on the other eye. And we see his left arm is kind of a melted-down techno-organic goo. Mm -hmm. So we can tell Cable's not going to have a good time of it in this issue. Probably not. He's be kind of becoming the Quentin Choir of this book. <laughs> sort I, of, I, kind I've of. read a couple yeah. issues of Red, and like he dies in every one of them. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess that's right. He has because he died in that attack and that whole artist on the hippie thing. place. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. The one that Abigail Brand set up. Yep. Okay, so this book starts off, and I think kind of a you can say it's repetitive, or you can say it's uh, uh, parallelism. If you want to say it's nice, but we start off with with the uh, the Great Ring of Iraqo talking about, hey, we hear this attack is coming. What should we do about it? Which just like Immortal started off. But here we have the Great Ring. And I think we're going to stop for just a second to talk about this Great Ring because it's sort of like the uh, Quiet Council, but but kind of different. And and it's interesting to me that when these characters were first announced, they just seemed like, you know, random, you know, almost like random encounters in a D&D &D book, right? You just got to roll together different aspects and call them a, call them a monster. But they they're, starting to be, they're starting to become actual characters to me a little more. So I think oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah, now finally. Yeah. It took so the Great Ring so the Quiet Council is divided up into seasons. We got your 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 fall, your your spring, your summer, your winter. And the Great Ring is divided up into portions of like the daily cycle. Mm -hmm. So we have Dawn, who is deferred to in time of war, and over at the table of Dawn we have Iska the Unbeaten, mm -hmm. Idol the Future Seer, who we're going to meet briefly in this issue. Very briefly. And Magneto, who she, he took this seat from Tarn the Uncaring. That I so did those not are those know. three. Yeah, I did not know that. Oh yeah, that that happens in X Men Red. So that's okay. Gonna, yeah, maybe maybe you haven't gotten. I thought I it was haven't. issue two or three. It must have been three because I think okay. two ends with Vulcan being sent to fight Tarn. Oh, ah, okay. So I'm sure yeah. that's when it's going to go down. 
Indeed, it does. So Magneto's here on the Great Ring. Mm-hmm. The next table is the Table of Day, who is deferred to in the Time of Peace, mm-hmm. which from a El Racco standpoint, they don't seem to be at peace very often. So Not I'd often. say this is this is the cushy job to have. You get to take some days off, long mm-hmm. weekends. We get uh, Lactuta the Knower. This is uh, where Storm is, and she took, I forget yeah. who she took her seat from, but She's new to the council too. Mm-hmm. And Sobunar of the Depths, who's, you know, your, your sea monster type character. Yep. That's day. Next we have Dusk and Dusk is never deferred to. We're very specifically told they're mm-hmm. never deferred to at all. So they're kind of, uh, you know, they're useful to have around, but they're never in charge of stuff. We yeah. They have got powers, but yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to defer to them for any sort of decisions. Right. They're not the leadership role. They're the support no. role. We have Aura Serato, the witness, who's that giant floating, mostly eyeball character. It's like a slug riding an eye. <laughs> we see them in yeah. uh, Legion. It's like a, yeah, it's like a headless person because the head is a whole eye, but the eye is so big that she's riding on top of the eye. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like, like a chariot, like a Ben-Hur in a chariot situation, except the chariot is her own eye. Yeah. Kind of gross. Very, very uh, weird. Also in Dusk, we have Zylo, the first defender, who is this mass. He looks like a giant bug, but we find out he's like made of bugs. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. yeah and this is part where I don't think the art and the writing really match up exactly. They don't. We'll it's get weird. to that. Yeah, we'll and finally on Dusk, we have Lotus Logos, who his power is he's a poet, but he can speak metal into existence. Mm-hmm. As much we'll metal as he wants. Yeah, we'll yeah. see that. That's kind of a useful thing to have around with some of our other characters. Especially with him, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> little foreshadow there. But in our final table is the it Table of Night. And the Table of Night, they don't actually come to meetings. So if we want to talk about, you know, who gets the days off, I guess Knight is the cushiest job to have. For sure. These members, we don't even know who they are. They're hidden. No. They're unknown. They're mysterious. And we don't know what the deal is with them, except they're a mystery. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Okay. I like that. Which is cool, yeah. Uh, we, because, again, I like that Arako feels strange. Yeah, like you right? feel uncomfortable there. Like we're supposed to not be, not be at ease. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's like those horror movies or like where they're showing you a nightmare and things are kind of normal except for a few that are just off enough off. of a twist to make mm-hmm. kind of the hairs on the back of your neck kind of uncomfortable. Absolutely. So it's a a cool place. It it reminds me, it's it's not quite as weird. It's not as comic as uh, who Atarian Carings his his uh, his ex crew. Oh, the uh, oh the The vile locust vile locust vile. Right. Those those were took it and twisted enough that it was they were silly. Yeah, they were gory to the point of being silly. Where this is, I might want to use the word uncanny. Uncanny is the word. Uncanny. Yes. So just like in Immortal X Men, we look in at the ruling council just before the attack. And we know it's just before the attack because through this whole book, we're given an actual clock in the corner. We're mm-hmm. told this is T minus one minute. So we know awful things are going to happen because we know that Oranos is on the way. And we know mm-hmm. he is the worst, the most destructive. We don't know exactly what it's going to do, but we know it's going to be real, real bad. Uh-huh. And we see our characters here just kind of chit-chatting and talking and kind of spinning in place. And we know they're in for a world of hurt. Mm-hmm. Bad times so ahead, for sure. they turn to Idol, who is the, the, the seer. Omega Seer. And we're told 
this is another one of those kind of, is it a power or is it like a logic puzzle out of uh, Alice in Wonderland, right? Because we're told she can see the true future, not like Destiny who sees all these strands that might come together, but mm-hmm. you still have free will. No, no, no. Idol sees the actual true future. A locked in future, yeah. Because she sees the true future, she can't tell nobody about it. Because if she told people about it, they could change the future, and it wouldn't be the true future anymore. So it's a wonderful, perfect power that is completely and utterly useless. Yes. (laughs) And also, her tongue was cut out by Tarn the Uncaring, but apparently that doesn't really matter because she wasn't doing any talking anyway. But Idol, the big giant eyeball, I mean, uh, uh, not Idol, uh, Serata, or a Serata, the big old eyeball, looks at this unspeaking seer and interprets the notes of her silence. Mm -hmm. All right. That's either a giant eyeball can do, I guess. That's either deep or nonsense, depending on your (laughs) attitude towards Al Ewing's writing, but okay. (laughs) But this is, this is what she interprets. And it's in italics, so you know it's important. It is. An empty heartbeat. Excuse me. An empty heart beats hardest. Okay, that's our first thing. It's not quite a sassy, sinister secrets, but it's in that same line. Mm-hmm. Number one, an empty heart beats hardest. Number two, an empty hand deals the impossible blow. Number three, and the stalemate ends with victory's loss. Well, that was useful information that we just spent 30 of our last seconds uh, doing because that's <laughs> yes. all we got left. We find out that Storm did make it to Krakoa, so Storm is is off planet, so she she's not here to be killed by Oranos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we find out, okay, uh, Cable's going to talk strategy, and here I've got some. He's got his PowerPoint going. T minus four seconds. We have these other things to know about. T minus two seconds. Mm-hmm. And now, what in the T minus zero? This is the only thing we saw from Cable. Back in Judgment Day number one, yes. this is when we've got this crazy, ominous white light, and Oranos has arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. So what is the first thing that happens here? Who strikes the first blow now that Oranos, the the eternal, the crazy, uh, omni-genocidal uh, eternal, arrives on Arako? Who strikes the first blow, Chris? Who is it? The, the person who never loses. It is Iska, the, the, the unbeaten. The, yes, Iska, the unbeaten, the plot device character who <laughs> she can't be beaten. So obviously the uh, Iraqi are going to win because they're on her side. Except, oh no, she's Only not. She's she has she has switched sides again. She does this a whole lot. That's kind of her thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, so she attacks our immortal, not immortal, but our uh, unbeatable our Omega yeah. Seer, and just. I'm not sure if she rips her head off, cuts her head off anyway. It looks like a head's clean not a, cut. Head's no longer attached, and they realize, oh, if Iska's on the other side, we, we just this. lost. Mm-hmm. Now, Nightcrawler's thought as well, she can't lose, but she doesn't have to be here anymore, so he just grabs her and bamps out of the way. Fine, not a, not a bad idea, I guess. Sure. We'll see how that plays out. And here... Oranos arrives in person for real. He kind of does very Judge Dread like. He kind of said, "I am Oranos. You have deviated excessively, and I have one hour to correct you." Holy cow! The art. This page, you just ha- yeah. I mean, he, Oranos is not like a huge guy, but he exudes power here in this scene. It's like 
Like you have a Thanos who's just massive. Uranus is more like in proportion, but just the way that we're seeing him here, he's scary. It it is wonderfully portrayed here. He is. He's floating a little bit above the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have, let's see, that's that's Abigail Brand and I'm not sure. Magneto and Cable there, like much Mm -hmm. lower, kind of looking up at him and clearly off balance. So, and again, because this is part where we know the ending more or less, sure. but it, it feels to me less like a retread than more of a sense of, oh no, because- yeah, and, and this, I, I, where, where I feel Immortal kind of failed, this book succeeds like almost every, in every other aspect here. It's, because this is the story we wanted to see fleshed out. This is where right, we this had is, the most This questions. is what we said at the end of two weeks ago after we read yeah. Judgment Day number one. We said, boy, I hope we find out what Oranos does exactly. on Mars. And I, I do think it, it pays off very successfully. Oh, and, and the way that, I mean, as we get into it, the way he, they go about it here, it is, you know, I think like terms like badass have been like really, really weakened in the, the age of the internet. But this is pretty badass what, uh, what Oranos does. So now we, we get our, our title page with our characters, and we get our first data page. I think it's our only data page we get here. I think and so. It's and it's a map. It's very much an Eternal-style data page, yeah, which it's an X-Men book, but the X-Men are very much reactive in this book. They have having things done to them. So yeah. it makes sense that we'd see this from the point of view of Oranos. And it says the armories of Oranos, and we get a map of Mars that we've seen before in this book. And it is very much based on actual Mars topographic data, except, you know, with an ocean on top of it, because that's what they did in, over at that first uh, Hellfire Gala. Planet size, yeah. Now, there are these bright white, almost like glowy stars on the map. Do you think those are the armories of Oranos? Is know, that what I'm those stars sure, cause, mean? Because I was trying, because I was looking at the key at the bottom here, and I mean, there's a lot of blue in the, a lot of blue text here. I thought maybe they were... They they call it, they connect it in some sort of way, but I don't think they do. I think these might be the armories here. But then we have yeah, the giant thinking, red one. Yo, I think I think the giant red one is Oranos himself. That's him, okay. because that island there with a the big red blob is. If you the, if you look at, at an earlier map is. of yeah, that's where Great Ring is, and the equivalent of where they they fight to get a place in the Great Ring. That all happens on that island, so that makes sense. That's what Oranos would be. So I think the other bright lights are where he's brought the his. Targets. I think that's where he's brought his forces into play. We know they're popping okay. into existence all around the planet. And I think that's this is where they're coming through those magical hexagon doors the hex that, deals, that they yeah. use. So I think that's what those white lights are, those bright lights are. And the in the bottom it says forces committed 0.003%. So really just un- underway. We, we're we're mm-hmm. told that Oranosius has this huge power. He's got locked up in his mythical or- armories for untold centuries. Uh, forces remaining, well, that's 99.997%. You can do that math yourself. <laughs> Deviance corrected, 11,553. So already, less than 30 seconds into his hour, he's killed. 10,000 dead. <laughs> yeah, o- over 11,000 of our yeah. Iraqi mutants. I don't know if that also counts visitors on the planet, but a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're told... Then we get just a little quick check-in with the uh, Eternal Principles. Are the Celestials protected? It's green, yes. Mm-hmm. Is the machine protected? It's green, yes. Is deviation being corrected? This one's red, yes. Mm-hmm. And then it says, very good. 
continue. So the I guess this is the machine talking, and it's not really the machine talking, or if it's this is just I guess how Orono sees things. His heads up display, perhaps, like if he's playing a first person, first yeah. person genocide or uh, game. <laughs> the rest of the issue is very much it's like a like a mosaic. I think we get little peaks at various places around Arako, some places we've seen before, some places we haven't seen. Sure. But it really does a good job of implying that we're not this getting the whole picture. Yeah, yeah we're this getting glimpses, but we know thousands of Iraqi units are dying, so we're only seeing a few things. So I don't think we need to go through every last panel here because there's a lot of them. Because basically, sure. he's got these different forces popping up all over. We see, for instance, uh, at what is it, the, the uh, Port Prometheus, which is yeah, the, hub. the hub where off whirlers can come and visit and diplomatic stuff happens. We've got this whole, it really looks like a, a Star Wars Star Destroyer and like support craft just popping into existence, starting to shoot people. Mm-hmm. We get our art community who were attacked by those weirdos that Abigail Brand set up to kind of yeah. test out her team. They're attacked by some biometallic goo. We see, uh, oh, we, we check back in with Nightcrawler, who has bamfed Iska out over an ocean. I think he's just dropping her in the ocean here, but not yeah. before she dislocates his arm. So, yeah. fair enough. I guess she technically wins the encounter because she has to, but sure. she's, still tr- she's still stuck in the ocean. She still goes into the drink, yeah. Yep. We get a glimpse of the Valley of the Fallen. Which is where that the uh, big old bug character created these statues of Apocalypse and Genesis. Yep. And they're being attacked by it really looks like a member of the Daddy Hex. Long legs. It looks yeah. a lot like like one of the Hex, but like a, a stick figure version. Yeah. Have yeah, you ever seen those uh almost? Yeah. Kind of that long shooting these uh, energy beams, you know, killing a bunch of dudes. And also the in space, the peak, which is it's like the sword satellite. But this is one that was created by that weirdo Jamie Braddock in mm-hmm. uh, Planet-Sized X-Men. So this yeah. is like the the the, uh, the companion to that, the the this satellite that's above Mars. Mars. And that's under attack, too, by – we don't really see what it is. It's kind of like energy beams shooting right out of hexagons. Sure. So it's in a bad way. So the idea is everywhere around the world, we've got – Horrible things happen, and nobody knows why, because only the Great Ring even has a clue that there's going to be an attack. So clearly this comes out of a, we're going to say a clear blue sky, but I guess a a clear red sky, because we're on Mars. Sure. We go back to the Great Ring, and we see what Ornos himself is doing. Oh, we're we're six minutes in by now. And everybody there, the Great Ring, is trying to attack Ornos, obviously not working. We see... Abigail Brand and Cable shooting at him, bing, 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 nothing doing. He says, uh, all non-eternal life must end. His first, like, sort of challenge is Aura Serrata. And you, you've seen what, what she does in, in Red. Have you seen her, her big debut yet? Yeah, where she can stare and, where she stares into the eyes of a god and just makes them not there anymore. Yes. So she just makes stuff disappear. So oh. she tries to do that to Oranos. No She's done this go. to actual gods, at least, you know, mm-hmm. minor gods. Doesn't work on Oranos. We don't know exactly why, but, you know, he, she tries to enforce the law, and he says, yeah, the only law I recognize is the law that's coded into me, and oh, by the way, only the vision of that law, only the interpretation of that law that I say myself, and that interpretation is, you gotta go. You're a deviant. And he just 
punches her right in, well, okay. right in the eye, because that's pretty much all there is of her, except for a little bit of body writing on top. <laughs> we get a lovely squelch sound, and yeah, Aura Serata is out, out of action. Mm-hmm. Who is our next opponent for Oranos? Ooh, the one that we don't actually get to see play out just yet. Uh, we see David Haller, you know, the son of uh, Professor X Legion Ooh, shows up. Legion himself, yeah. This is, I mean, the art here is just, it's unreal. Um, just Legion showing up here, the way these two look at each other, it is, I mean, this is a scene we want to see. This is, yeah, this is this a clash is of two biggies because oh, Legion, yeah. especially now that he's kind of got himself under control, he's not just- sure. Going off at random. He's not just he a is, lunatic. Yeah. He's not just a lunatic. He's one of the most powerful characters in the whole Marvel universe. Yep. And here he is. Is he going to be able to save the day? Uh, so the two of them pop out because they're going to have their fight, I don't know, in space, elsewhere, somewhere away from the ring. So they leave at six minutes and 28 seconds. Mm-hmm. And then we have our characters kind of get a quick breather. Uh, and then at six minutes and 56 seconds, we're told, David Holler is gone. Yep. So half, <laughs> half, half, is back. half a minute, that fight is over. I don't know. Maybe we'll see that fight over in Legion number six, six when that happens. Maybe. Could, Could happen. Be. I don't know if they're going to take the whole 30 seconds and expand it or not. It'd be one second a page. Yeah, it would They've be. done that before. They've done that kind of thing before. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, one of the really big heavy hitters is is off this off the already. And we, we knew from uh, uh, the first main book that – David Holler had died because yeah. they reported that in uh, when when uh, Nightcrawler bamfed back to back to Krakoa. the council. Yeah. So next up, we have Magneto is going to give it a shot. So we mm-hmm. form a mutant circuit, and we're told that this kind of cooperation between mutants is pretty rare on Arako. They're more yeah. the rugged individualist kind of uh, kind of folks. It's kind so, of like, that, like a play on that uh, the tandem offense that we've been seeing a lot on Krakoa. Where like we have our mutants working together in harmony mm. with their powers here, so it's a weird sight to see it happening on Arako. But yeah, maybe it's Magneto bringing Magneto's some influence. of this Krakoa yeah. influence over. Maybe it, this is such an extreme situation or that they necessity. overcome. Yeah, they overcome their usual reluctance. But we have so uh, our Lodos Logos. He's spitting metal. Literally. He's, he's spitting. Yeah. So he. <laughs> He, he idea is he can like produce metal from words. So it looks like he's barfing up metal, but let's say he's speaking metal into existence. You know, nice big pointy pieces. So Magneto grabs them, of course, and shoots them off towards Oranos. And we see uh, some other characters kind of hanging around too. We're not quite sure, sure what they're doing yet, but it does look at least for this one panel, like Oranos is at least on his back foot, right? He's sure. not moving sure. forward anymore. He's not being hurt, he's, he's not being overwhelmed, he's not, but he's, yeah. yeah, the initiative's kind of against him. Yeah. So we go back to the rest of the planet once again. We see that the Brotherhood of Arako is, you know, in the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we see some of those characters. That's sun, you know, is, that th- is that Thunderbird? Is that Sunspot and Thunderbird? We see Sunspot, we see Rockslide. The, the new rock slide and the, the guy with the double daggers. That's who you call him, Thunderbird? Thunderbird. Okay. I, I, I wasn't sure who that was. Yeah. Uh, we see Nova is trying, trying to defend Port Prometheus, Port Prometheus so that the uh, folks can escape because that's where the gates are. We see Iska's in the ocean fighting some sea creatures that have been summoned to fight it's her. Sabinar, yeah. Yeah. So Sabinar is not there in person, but he's like he's, doing an Aquaman yeah. thing and, and calling for the creatures of the deep to come and 
you know, mm-hmm. at least delay her. Back at the Great Ring, uh, it's a couple minutes later, and they seem to have slowed Oranos down a bit. He is covered in, in metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks almost uh, he's he looks almost like uh, the kingpin. He's all wrapped up like a big fat guy with a little head in metal. He's just uh, been TP'd in metal. Yeah. So I, I guess it looks like our our uh, telekinetic uh, cable is doing some to kind of hold the metal in place too. And Abigail Brand and our our bug character Zylo, they're I guess they're giving moral support. I don't know what they're doing here, <laughs> but the they're just kind of they're just kind of staring onwards. I don't know. I think I'd be, I'd be running away at least. But uh, so we think, oh, was well, this going to be how they slow him down? No, he he busts right out. It does the big old chest flex and mm-hmm. you know blows up his prison, and he is out. And he it, now we're in uh, Temple of Doom. He reaches right into Magneto's chest and rips out his heart. Yep. And he makes a, a pun that would be almost, uh, you could see this being played by uh, Schwarzenegger. That must be heartrending. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe a little, okay, Al Ewing, you could have you could have edited that one out, I think. I'm, I'm on your side for this one. That one could have been I mean, left on the cutting room floor. He's been locked up for a while. Maybe he doesn't, he doesn't know this kind of a joke. He has all these dad jokes, you know, all yeah. just stuck in his head. He gets to use them finally. So well, maybe yeah. he wasn't, he was saying it unironically. He was just saying it uh, as a matter-of-fact statement. Very well could be. So our next big guy, Magneto, was down. He's And yeah. this is a big deal because we know that he, to be part of the Great Council here, the uh, the Great Ring, he's given up resurrection privileges, right? He said, mm-hmm. erase he my files. Yeah. I, I, I want to be fully of Mars. You know, I don't want to be like you weak Krakoans. I want to show my dedication to my new home, uh, you know, include me out. So mm-hmm. if he's dead here, he's either he's dead, dead for real, as far as for real can be these days, or he's going to be brought back in a way that's going to raise some hackles. Yeah. Right. So that's where we leave them, except, okay, Cable tries. And, of course, what is Cable going to do in Extremis when he has the biggest, baddest enemy maybe he's ever fought? What does Cable do? Uh, does he do something with a gun? Like a really, really, <laughs> like a, really, really big gun? This gun, yeah. I, I thought the art of the gun could have been more interesting because all it is is a, a big old gun. It's it so like a big. Giant it, lamp. Yeah. yeah, it does look like a, a lamp or like a, a radar gun, like a like Highway Patrol would use. Yeah, exactly. It, it's so big, it's got like a, a thing around his waist, like a sousaphone, so he can carry it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of comedic. He shoots it off, the, and we're told that this comes from the future. It's classified as a weapon of absolute destruction and banned from use in warfare. So he shoots it off, bravoom, at uh, Oranos. And we're told, hey, he likes it. It weakens Oranos. It, it gives him a little little bloody lip, but he's unimpressed. Yeah. And yeah, so eventually we say, we say that the gun jams and overheats. And we see, we don't see exactly how he kills Cable, but this is when Cable dies. Yeah. We see off in space that the space station has been has been blown up. It's gone. We see that the artists over in the Morrowlands, they're kind of holding out a little bit, not too well. Our kind of last ditch here at the Great Ring is Bug Guy. Uh, mm-hmm. The well, Zylo. Zylo. We're told in the text that he unleashes the insects and invertebrates that form him. But in the just art, like it's just kind of, it's tendrils. Yeah. And they just disgust Oranos, which fair enough. It's pretty disgusting. Yeah, 
So I don't know how, how well that's going to help out, but they're they're down to their last desperate measures. Uh, over in Port Prometheus, all the gates are blown up. So mm-hmm. that we knew that was one of Druig's main goals was to kind of cut off the you know you know no going back and forth between the two planets because this is where the millions of mutants are. He doesn't want those reinforcements being able to go and help out a Koa. So that mission's accomplished. And back, oh, we we check in with uh, Zylo being burned off by Superman Vision. We're told mm-hmm. Zylo is reduced to 13.5% of its total mass. And because Zylo is historian, and I guess stores all those memories kind of dispersed among the various bugs and or tendrils that make up his body, all that history is lost. It's too. gone. Lost. It's, yeah. It reminds me almost like uh, you hear stories of the burning of the Library of Alexandria, Alexandria. in ancient times. Yep. Right, so I, th- I think that's the reference that we're going for here. Is just I, I all this history is just gone forever. We yep. see Abigail Brand, who is, I guess, I mean, what was she going to do against Oronos? She hasn't done anything, but yeah. she didn't really have a. She's out of her league here. He just he just shoots her with some kind of gun. We're told that she tries to avoid the resurrection protocols and fails. And we see her sunglasses pop off because those are the ones we see laying on the ground at the final end. panel. Yeah. And here's an interesting check-in. We, we go and oh, we visit the Fisher, the Fisher yeah. King. Mm-hmm. So the Fisher King, he's uh, Magneto's pal on, on Araco. He's his first real friend there. We're told that he doesn't have a, a weapon. He's a, what, he's a human he is what the uh, illusion was. I don't know if it's true or not, but that right, is uh, that, what we heard early. He way. considers himself a true Iraqi because he was, he was born, born in Araco, but mm-hmm. he's not a mutant, maybe? We're not quite sure. He's kind of mysterious. And we're just told... There's no fighting going on here. He feels the wind change. It is time. And then we get a very interesting text box. Night has fallen. Hey, wait. So what, what do you think that means? <laughs> you know, the, I guess the obvious, uh, guess would be that perhaps he's one of the three members of that quarter of the great ring that we haven't met yet. Or maybe he is able to contact them or. Yeah, I don't it know. Seems, it seems that he's affiliated with the Table of Night. Yeah, he, yeah he's so, either an agent of them or he's one of them. Which would be very interesting. I mean, sure. it's one of those things where you meet a character who has no particular connection to anybody, and of course he's going to wind out being important. Connected to everybody. Out of all the, <laughs> out of all the millions of mutants that Magneto could have run into. But, you know, hey, it's, it's storytelling, it's comic books, that's fine. We just need Wolverine and, to cross paths with them, so it'd be like, oh, wait, I've, I've teamed up with you 7,000 times already. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the, the, the real, true secret history of Wolverine, this time Remember we Remember that drink at, Madripo- in the, at the Princess Bar in Madripoor? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> but we go, we're at T plus 20 minutes, so 20 minutes into the hour, and in the Great Ring, there's silence. Oronos yep. has killed or driven away everybody in the Great Ring. And he still he, has 40 minutes left. It's 40 <laughs> minutes left. All the big hitters are off the table. Gone. And gone. So we don't see the rest of the 40 minutes because, you know, Ornos kills this person, Ornos kills that person, Ornos kills this thousand person. Yeah. We just assume there's carnage everywhere. We cut to T plus 60 minutes, which is, again, that scene that we saw in Judgment Day number mm-hmm. one, yeah. just standing among this huge pile of bones. Pile of- destruction on the horizon yeah. everywhere. We see him looking at uh, the skull. I guess that was a cable skull, right? I think so. And I he so. walks away from the pile of bones and accessories. 
that we saw. <laughs> this is this. Uh, it's interesting because this exact panel we saw in Judgment Day, just yeah. the layout's exactly the same. You can put them on top of each other. Sure. You have Magneto's helmet, yeah. shattered sunglasses. Yeah. Right. And he's now beaming back to Earth in you know, that little shimmer of hexagons. Back to the exclusion, yeah. So we see after he leaves, this is our new information, we see some little colorful tendrils rising up from the ground, from that pile of bones, and we learn that Zylo had saved that 13.5% of himself that was still alive and used it to hide, and I know I say this guy's name different every time, but Lodos Logos. Mm-hmm. So he still, he was being hidden by Zylo. So that's not using a Racco thing. They don't like to hide, but in this case, keeping yourself alive surreptitiously, yeah, they're going to, they're going to take it. More on the hierarchy of needs, yeah. So yeah, we, we see that. Okay. Not everybody is quite dead. We have this one kind of, he's on the, the great ring, but he's not one of the heavy hitters. He's alive. Bug guy's alive. Oh, uh, Aura Serata, she's maimed. But uh, yeah. we're told that, oh, uh, they they only got her in the eye. Her body is unharmed, <laughs> which, I mean, her eye is 95% of her body mass. So, okay. But I guess he didn't know to aim for the rest of the parts. Okay. So, she's still kind of hanging in there. And on our page turn, we find out that one more character is still alive. And, and who would that be? That is the main master of magnetism himself. Magneto is here. and uh- Magneto. Yeah, we have uh, we had uh, Uranus have his hour, and uh, we're about ready for Magneto to have his hour. Yes, he says the seat of loss takes command, which is his position on the Great Ring. On the, the ring. seat of yeah. loss, we see his his eyes are glowing. His chest still has a complete hole, a straight hole through it. In it. Yep. Right, I mean, you can you can like stick you, you can see out the other side. There's a big you old football through it. Yeah, Uranus fist size hole right there. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, so. That's also glowing pink. So this is a cool page turn. I hope we get a cool explanation because what do you think is going on? Is he using, I guess there's there's like iron in your blood. So is Magneto using his magnetism powers his heart? to keep know. his blood yeah. flowing? That's my only guess because I don't know what's going to happen. We say one, the hour of Magneto begins, so... Is that metaphorical or is that a literal? He only has one hour he can one do this. left. And yeah, then he's going to die because Expire. that's all he can keep things going? I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. For sure. So, yeah, sure. a cool ending. And again, it doesn't really advance the story besides finding out Storm is alive, which I guess we probably should have known she was on Krakoa anyway. Sure. <clears throat> we find out Magneto's still alive. Uh, Abigail Brand's dead. And yeah, Cable, as we knew, was dead. Legion's dead. All these other... Pretty big characters are dead, and Fisher King. I think that's the most intriguing bit from this. Is oh, that it's up there for sure? Where you know, where is he going to fit into the story going forward? So Absolutely. yeah, I think that you and I agree with Mister Hedavax, Kieran Gillen, that this is the most important tie-in to be reading at least this week. This this was better than Judgment Day One. <laughs> I mean, this was really really good. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, you need a Judgment Day one to make this work, but yeah, this was Ju- much Judgment more Day number one needed to bring in all the people who weren't reading For all sure. the books and just kind of set up. Here's the Avengers. Here's the Eternals. Here's the X Men. Put all the Absolutely. pieces on the board, which we already knew about. So I guess that was kind of wasted on us. But yeah, this was this was a beginning to end action. And yeah. again, even though there wasn't a whole lot of uncertainty as to how it would end up. 
seeing it play out was very powerful. And yeah, the art. Who is this artist again? This, this Caselli, is Stefano Caselli. Caselli. Oh, this yeah. is this is it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. It really it, it hurts the artist in Immortal to be put right next to this one because this is it's a this totally is a tough, different style. Totally yeah. different style and a, a hard act to be, you know, up against. Yeah, because that one is more cartoony. Yeah, this one is just it is brutally amazing uh, in in red here. Uh, you know, I love you know you hear about like was it there's no atheists in a foxhole or whatever, right? Where you can see like the the Iraqis here, they have to actually change their perspective on how they handle conflict, and it all comes out of necessity. It's like we're backed against the wall. This is not going to end well if we stick to our guns here, and it's probably not going to end well even if we do shift. But they do. They actually which is, adopt- is saying something because they lived in a state of war for for millions of years. I don't know how <laughs> many years it was. A lot of years. Yeah. They're, they're basically their entire existence since they broke off yeah. from Okara, yep. right? And they went over that that weird demon world. Yeah. So their whole societal evolution happened under attack every day. Always. But this is even more overwhelming. Every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is even more overwhelming than that. Yep. Absolutely. So and the it's only one, yeah. very yeah. effective storytelling. Uh, the only thing I kind of worry about is Oranos. He's so big and so bad and so unstoppable. Where does he go from here? He's almost been set up to be too overpowered, right? Yeah, he's very, very strong. Um, so he does, he does have, he does get locked back away in the exclusion. Sure. But we certainly think that he's going to come out again. It seems unlikely that he's going to come out just oh, I don't think once. he's done. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an impossibility that he's just done. I, so I figure, you, you'd think that the that. usual arc of things is that the big bad villain comes out, but this time he's defeated. But I'm guessing been... that, yeah, I mean, I feel like he's going to get out again. And it's going to be up to the X Men, the Avengers, and the Eternals to team up mm-hmm. and fight them. So I, I'm guessing that seems likely. But what are they? I hope there's just like I hope there's a satisfying explanation for Magneto still being alive. Sure. I hope when they end up defeating him, if that's what happens, they come up with a satisfying way to say this biggest badass guy you've ever seen. Oh, this time he lost. I hope. I hope it's satisfying. Oh yeah, I hope so. I hope so because I mean the way he's being set up here, it's going to. I mean, a nuclear bomb wouldn't stop him. So it's like, oh, not at all. What do you yeah. do? You know, what do you do? So that's those are good questions to have. Those are good uh, concerns to have, I think. And uh, this one, this one did a lot because I, I read these in the same order we covered them. I, I read Immortal first, and was just like, oh, it's this. And then I get to Red, and it's like, oh, it's this. <laughs> and I really, yeah, very similar. Really I think I looked at the uh, the list in the back of Judgment Day number one, and I figured, well, if that's a list, I'll go in that order. And I think oh, it was I, Immortals I first, even, and then Red. Didn't even look at that. I just had Immortal on the top. It just happenstance. And, uh, yeah, reading them back to back, Red is in a total, it's in a different stratosphere than, uh, than Immortal was. Just really, it makes me excited to read more, which uh, that's, you know, not something we always get. Yeah, very neat. So, uh, any big picture things you want to say about where this event is going so far or what we might see next? You know, I don't know. We got, we got a lot of stuff to get, we got a lot of uh, parts to go here. Um, the, what is the main series? Is it six issues or eight? I believe, I believe it's six. Yes. Six. Okay. So we got this, five parts of the ma- the main story to go. Mm-hmm. 
and then 700 tie-ins. So we got a lot of, <laughs> lot of story ahead of us. Yeah, this, this feels to me almost like the end of the first act, right? That we've seen, yeah, okay, see the, the initial uh, aggressor in this war is the Eternals, right? We see the attack on yeah, Krakoa. Like the end of like the prelude or something. Like, yeah. Uh, like the story will officially start next, where we have everybody kind of in their roles coming together. It, it feels like we're going to get a... We've had a couple issues all about these attacks, and sure. it feels like our next issue, which next week we have just one issue coming out next week, mm-hmm. is going to be the the flagship event book itself, Act of Judgment Day number two. Mm-hmm. So I think and hope that we'll get our next big turn of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to see the Avengers again, I'm sure. Presumably, we'll see the next plan, the next step in that plan to make Avengers Mountain into the new god. Into the new god. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how the rest of the world reacts to, you these know, gods, these huge these acts of aggression angels, by yeah. the Eternals, who, you know, most of Earth probably doesn't even know they exist. Sure. And these so, yeah, giant I'm, death machines that are that are mounting and popping up, and yeah. yeah. So uh, that should be interesting. I'm I'm looking forward so. to seeing what happens. And yep. So just the one book next week, we'll be able to. Focus in on that next thing. Mm-hmm. That was a fun week. You have any other last words before we sign out? No, no. I, uh, I, I just gotta repeat what uh, what Gillen said on on the internet. There, if you got, if you only read one, make sure it's read. Very good. Okay, so we will talk to you all again next week. Oh, but before we go, Chris, remind us all once again where everyone can hear more from you and learn all about the other things that have been happening on Krakoa. Oh, ain't nobody want to hear any of that crap. Um, but if you wanted to, you could uh, you could head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or chrisisoninfiniteearths.com and check out X-Lapse. It's a deep dive on every single issue from uh, House of X number one till, uh, well, about a month or two ago. I'm a little bit behind, but uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. And uh, if you're interested, that's where you go. I, I know I will. I think I'm one episode behind on listening to your stuff over there, but otherwise I'm all caught up and it's, it's all good Very stuff. Cool. So everybody else, we will see you next time. See ya. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution.